ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय अपर्याप्तम तदस्माक बलमीष्माक्षित पर्याप्तम बलमीमाक्षित Actually, the name Bhishma and Bhima means more or less the same thing, doesn't it? Both means like terrible. So, uh, this verse is spoken by anyone? Duryodhan. Duryodhana. What does Duryodhana mean? Hmm. Dur is bad, yeah, and Yodhan. So he's a bad fighter, which means he fights in a bad way, dirty fighter. It also means who's difficult to fight with. So it can either be taken in a good way or a bad way. He's also called not by the Pandavas. He's also called Suyodhana, which means a good fighter. Our strength is immeasurable. Says Duryodhana, who's he speaking to? Drona Acharya. Our strength is immeasurable, and we are perfectly protected by Grandfather Bhishma, whereas the strength of the Pandavas, carefully protected by Bhima, is limited. Purport: Herein, an estimation of comparative strength is made by Duryodhana. He thinks that the strength of his armed forces is immeasurable, being specifically protected by the most experienced general, Grandfather Bhishma. On the other hand, the forces of the Pandavas are limited, being protected by a less experienced general, Bhima, who is like a fig in the presence of Bhishma. Duryodhana was always envious of Bhima because he knew perfectly well that if he should die at all, he would only be killed by Bhima. But at the same time, he was confident of his victory on account of the presence of Bhishma, who was a far superior general. His conclusion that he would come out of the battle victorious was well ascertained. As is well known, Bhagavad Gita. Is spoken in the context of the battle of Kurukshetra, which was about to take place. And in this verse, we find Duryodhana, who was the cause of the battle, speaking to. Drona, everyone was involved. Duryodhana was the cause. Well, there are so many causes, but he was the main cause. His stubbornness, his uh, rascaldom. So he, he's assessing the forces. It's a matter of killing. It might seem strange that the Bhagavad Gita, as a religious text, 
It's known as a religious text. It's spoken in the context of a battle. Battle means people are trying to kill each other, and they do kill each other. Killing's what it, that's what it's all about. Winning the battle, but winning the battle means who wins wins the one, means the one who kills more than the others, who's more successful in killing. So it seems very strange that this should be that this religious text, very high uh, level of discourse, very high level of philosophical discourse. And not just philosophical. Bhagavad Gita is not a matter of just some discussion of philosophy, but it's concerned with consciousness, high consciousness, very high level of consciousness. It seems very strange that it's spoken on a battlefield because killing, generally that's thought not to be at a very high level of consciousness. Therefore, people have a. People generally think that, well, a, a sadhu is one who doesn't condone killing because it's obvious that killing is horrible. Uh, just to. If you can imagine it, if uh, someone was to walk in here with a machete and. Machete? Kibarahoi Banglai? I forgot the name, what they call it. Uh, that, that big, just like they use for cutting the knife, for cutting the bamboo, or for the uh, dub. Yeah, they are different. There's another word I was thinking. Anyway, just like this, they use for cutting their dub, and and they came and uh, cut off somebody's head or nobody's head. We have nobody sitting in front of us. Nobody. Ananga means nobody. So nobody is sitting in front of us. <laughs> but if they cut off somebody's head, it would be horrible. We'd all be shocked. One devotee told me that he'd seen a video of actual killings. I mean, if you see in a movie and they have all this tomato ketchup splattered everywhere, you know it's just a movie and it's in a movie, you fall asleep while you're watching 20 people getting murdered because it's just a movie. But uh, there's some video released of actual killings, actual murders. And the devotee told me it was so horrible, he couldn't, he couldn't sleep at night. He had just during the day and during the night, it was going on and on in his head. It was so horrible to see people being killed. Such a nasty thing. So it seems very strange that this very high discourse about the perfection of life, uh, spiritual life beyond, uh, which spiritual life rests on saintly behavior. How is it being discussed? in the arena of battle. So there is this concept that saintly people, they should be peaceful, they should be against killing. At the moment, coming from the Western world, is a, uh, there is an impetus for 
banning capital punishment all over the world. It's many people, especially in the West, consider capital punishment. Do you know what that means? Capital punishment. You know, it can be hanging or shooting or uh, impaling. I mean, there are so many ways to do it. What's it called? Raja? No, no. There's some word. Capital punishment. How do you say that? Something danda. No, Raj danda is Mrityu danda. There's another word also. Anyway, I can't remember. It means like ultimate punishment. Charam danda maybe. Something like that. I can't remember. I saw. So... Uh, yeah, there's a movement. So they think it's something left over from the bad past. That when people used to be savages and then they used to have this. But they say it's a very bad thing. How can you punish someone with, with death? Because there's no way to come out of that. I mean, that's it. Once you're killed, you can't reform. And what if you get the wrong person? And anyway, it's horrible. They're thinking it's a horrible. Better to lock someone up for life. If he's so bad, better to lock him up for life. Now, interestingly, which is not a very interesting word, uh, Srila Prabhupada, he advocated capital punishment. And he was not against killing, per se. In Bhagavad Gita, we find Krishna Bhagavan mentioning ahimsa more than once. He mentions ahimsa, which is a word which has entered the English vocabulary. Non-violence non is the simple translation of this word. Uh, it is mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita as a good quality. At the same time, Krishna is telling Arjuna to fight and kill. So, it seems to be contradictory. Srila Prabhupada was, uh, he didn't fit this stereotype conception of a sadhu in any way, practically. He wasn't like your average sadhu. Uh, of course, your average sadhu is just a, a beggar. That uh, in one census during the time of Indira Ji, who probably died before most of you were born, the uh, in the census they put in the categories of employment, they put beggars and sadhus. They put them all in one category, in one class. But there are other sadhus also more sophisticated. Just like, you know, there are, so, there are so many. There are the big famous ones like your, your Bappas and your Babas. Some of them even claim to be Bhagawan, your Sri Shris and all these rascals. Who, uh, you know, they'll talk peace, love, compassion with no clear understanding. Or just, just some nice words which everyone thinks, yes, yes, it sounds very nice. But Srila Prabhupada was very specific. He advocated non-killing of cows 
Cows should not be killed under any circumstances. But humans may be killed under some circumstances. So that may seem very strange. How, how can you advocate that? Well, the point is, of course, that Srila Prabhupada, unlike all these totally bogus persons who go around posing as sadhus and cheating themselves and the public, uh, what he advocated was based on Shastra. And Manu, the lawgiver of mankind, <clears throat> he says that in certain cases there should be capital punishment. A man should be killed under certain circumstances. And although some people may advocate total non-violence, it's not practical. Just like uh, another Gandhi, the, the, famous, the most famous Gandhi of India in the West, who probably largely because of him, the word Ahimsa has entered the English lexicon, and also Buddha, Buddhist teachings. So he advocated non-violence uh, and being fair and being nice and being good. So when India was partitioned, there was Pakistan and there was India. There was no Bangladesh at that time. It was all part of Pakistan. But all the weapons and all the money was in Delhi. So Pakistan was finished from the beginning. He said, we want our weapons and Sardar Patel and others said, forget it. And then Gandhi said, no, no, you have to give it to them. And he went on a fast to death and they gave it. So they, they were constrained to give the Pakistan their fair share of weapons and money. So they just organized themselves and attacked India and killed plenty of people. So Gandhi's being fair and nice and good actually resulted in the deaths of thousands of people. So, uh, absolute non-violence is not only not possible, but it's not desirable. The Jains, they, they propose absolute non-violence. They'll sweep the street in front of them as they walk so that they don't step on any insect. They might kill an insect by sweeping it also. That they don't consider. In, uh, I was on a plane once in Europe with a, either some Jain from Bombay was sitting next to me. So he said, are you vegetarian? I said, yeah. And he said, yeah. He said that uh, oh, we're better vegetarians than you because we don't eat potatoes. We don't eat anything from under the ground. So we're flying in the airplane. So I was just wondering... Uh, the fuel that that airplane runs on, where did it come from? <laughs> came from under the ground. So they're better vegetarians because they, they don't want to till the soil in case some creatures get killed, but they're riding in airplanes and cars. It's the, so it's hypocritical. You can't be, there's no total nonviolence. This uh, total nonviolence, just like this, uh, when the police go on strike, it sometimes happens. It's happened in America and Canada. 
And as soon as the word goes out that police go, they're on strike, immediately the looters come out and start looting all the shops. Which just shows that the only reason they don't do that is because they're afraid of the violence of the police. We also see in the Bhagavatam that Vena, he was a horrible despot. But one thing he did good was he, he kept the thieves in order. So as soon as he was killed, the thieves came out and it became a horrible situation for the citizens. In the, uh, here in Bhagavad Gita purport, Prabhupada mentions six kinds of atatai, aggressor, who according to Shastra can be killed. What are those six? One who steals your property, one who kidnaps your wife, one who sets your house on fire, one who administers poison. What are the others? One who uh, uh, attacks the weapons to kill and one who desecrates the guru's bed, is it? Yeah, that means has sex with his wife. Yeah. So these persons can be killed. So that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if someone's coming to attack you and, and, and kill you and your family and your children... And you do nothing to stop them. That's not good. You should, if you have a web, if you have the means to, you should, uh, you should kill them. Better to kill one rascal who's attacking you than let him kill all the members of your family who are, who are innocent. So the idea of absolute non-violence is, uh, it's maybe a nice idea, but it's not possible in this material world because this material world is is the world of Icha Dvesha Samuttena Dvandvamohena Bharata Sarvabhutani Samoham Sargayanti Parantapa. It's the world of uh, material desire and hatred, Dvesh and illusion. It's a world of exploitation and therefore to uh, maintain an ideal of absolute non-violence is not practical in this world. That's why the Kshatriya class is there. They're trained on the principles of dharma to kill, to protect dharma. And although killing may not seem very good, Dharma Rakshati Rakshataha. Those who protect Dharma, they are protected by Dharma. So killing on killing a Dharma, that's often translated as religion. It's a much bigger concept than religion. It also it also means law. So killing according to the law is acceptable, just like Srila Prabhupada always gave the example that a man a soldier in battle, if he kills many of the enemy, he's rewarded with a, with a medal. If he comes home and kills one person, then he's punished. So the same act, in one situation is considered praiseworthy, and in another is considered despicable. So uh, people are often surprised 
that devotees are not advocates of abolishing capital punishment. We say it's good. Prabhupada always say it should be there. Should be there. Because if someone is so sinful, he's murdered someone, then it's better for him that he gets killed. Because by the, by the king, the king should kill him. And in doing so, the king upholds dharma. Uh, and the person becomes free from his sinful reaction of murder, which we would otherwise have to suffer. And Srila Prabhupada gave the example that of uh, in Kashmir at one point, the, the king was so tough that... Well, he, he administered the, the law, which was... Uh, that's now known as... Well, that's still being practiced, the Shariat law. That if someone kills, as in Islam they do, but it's according to Mount also. If someone steals... Chop off his hand. It's a very heavy punishment, isn't it? But Prabhupada said that the, that in Kashmir, when this was being, this system was being administered, it must have been a Hindu king. There were always Hindu kings, and still is, although there aren't many Hindus left there to be king of. But as long as that law was there, and it was being administered, that, that law was being strictly administered, there were no thieves. It's the same thing. In Russia, they, they were heavy government in the communist time. Crime was practically zero. Because any little offense should be punished severely. And as soon as they relaxed it, then the uh, Russian mafia came out. And they're causing so much problem, not only in Russia, in various parts of the world. Even here in India, I think they're having some influence on Bombay side, Goa side. So it may seem very strange. Here we are, we're, we're uh, vegetarians, but we're not advocates of capital, uh, abolishing capital punishment. One devotee I know, he was, uh, he was, not now, he left that job, but he was uh, engaged, uh, he was employed by the American government, Defense Department, writing software for... Uh, missiles, nuclear missiles. So uh, before he was engaged in that, because when he when he was took the job, he told he told them everything. I'm a I'm a Hare Krishna devotee and everything. Uh, so they showed him a picture of a, a nuclear missile and they said, "Does this picture bother you?" He said, "No." He said, well, so the person interviewing said, well, you, Hare Krishnas, you're vegetarians. And you said, yep, we're vegetarians, but we're not pacifists. We don't, we don't accept that pacifism is a good policy. As long as we're in this material world, there has to be war. Srila Prabhupada was in America. He was first preaching there during the time of the Vietnam War. And after a short time in America, Srila Prabhupada gravitated toward preaching to the hippies, who were, every single one of them, was against the Vietnam War. They didn't want to, they, they didn't want to get sent to Vietnam and get killed, or 
high risk of getting killed. And they didn't know, no one was really sure what the war was about. Supposed to be to contain communism, but no one in America had ever heard of Vietnam before, before the war. The average, just like in Iraq, in America, no one, when they first had the first Iraq war, they never heard of Iraq. In most American people, they think the world begins in New York and ends in San Francisco. Oh, there's Hawaii also. You don't know your geography. Anyway, America is the whole world. Oh, there's some place just, uh, yeah, there's Canada also. Britain, yeah, maybe, but Iraq, Vietnam, they never heard of such places. So they had no idea why they were fighting there. So they were completely against this war, but Prabhupada wasn't. And he used to give the example. He was teaching Bhagavad Gita and he was telling the people <laughs> how they, who were coming to listen to him how Arjuna doesn't want to fight and Krishna is telling him, you fool, you rascal, you must fight. And this is to all the uh, hippies who, they, they think that, wait a minute, there's a war our country's at war and they're sending us to fight. We agree with Arjuna. We don't agree with Krishna. But Prabhupada would give this example and he wasn't against the war, even though actually it was a demoniac war. Like all the wars nowadays are demoniac. But, uh, but he said, well, it's natural for a country. They, if they, they must have wars. They have, to, they have to maintain their position. If you don't have wars, then your country can't maintain its position. He thinks Prabhupada is natural that there would be wars. And he's, he, uh, these hippies who wanted to avoid the fighting, he said that, uh, you see, they're just all shudras. They're useless. They're not, fi- they're not fit for fighting. They're not, they're not trained. They're not the right people. They're just a bunch of shudras who want to lay around and lazy and take drugs. And they're just useless people, Prabhupada. That was his assessment of the of the Vietnam War. So Prabhupada, he, was, he wasn't uh, against that. Even devotees used to go to uh, anti-war rallies and chant, Hare Krishna Prabhupada told them, don't go. Don't get identified with this hippie movement or pacifist movement. Again, I think it was 1971, 19, uh, must have been 1971, when uh, Pakistan attacked India, 71, yeah. You know, because he was on this side also, Joy Bangla, at that time. Mukti Jodha Bahini, and all that kind of thing, who were all Indian soldiers, actually, the Mukti Jodha Bahini. Anyway, that's another subject. So, uh, yeah, Pakistan attacked India. And a newspaper reporter in Delhi asked Prabhupada, well, do you think that India should retaliate against Pakistan? And it was a good question for a reporter to ask because generally they think that the sadhus should say, no, no, you should be peaceful. And then they'd report it in the paper and everyone would be against Prabhupada because... Or it, anyway, it puts them in a... It puts the average sadhu in a difficult situation because, you know, they're all love, peace, compassion. And, you know, well, uh, actually, uh, you're sitting here in Delhi and uh, the, the Pakistan army is advancing and uh, they expected to be here in about two days and uh, should the army go and retaliate against them? And they say, love and peace and 
Come, okay, we're heading for South India. <laughs> they run away, saying love, peace, and compassion. But Prabhupada, he didn't. He said, no, they should attack and smash them. Prabhupada was very, he had no hesitation. They should fight. So the reporters appreciated that. This Prabhupada wasn't uh, this stereotype kind of sadhu. The people there are they're attacking, you should fight them. Fight them, and fight means you don't go in with, ah, peace. Go there and go on there and kill. Killing, it's heavy, it's nasty, but it's necessary. So, uh, yeah, you see that, that Prabhupada was so much against killing, unnecessary killing, that you've seen who's been in Iskon Juhu, Bombay? There's a bale tree in the courtyard, right? Now, why should there be a bale tree in the courtyard? Because Prabhupada said not to cut it down when they were when they were uh, building the temple. It's not even good bales; you can't even eat them. But uh, Prabhupada said, keep the tree. Actually, there's two trees. There's a bale and there's a parijat. And in Vrindavan Iskon, there's a Tamal tree, right in the temple. Prabhupada said, don't cut it down. No, don't disturb the tree. We have no right to cut the tree. In Dallas, in America, one time, there was, in a, there was a big storm and the tree, heavy tree branch, fell on the building. And the devotees, it, it was uprooted and it looked very dangerous and it could fall and smash the building and it could be very dangerous. And so... The devotees had it cut off. When Prabhupada came next, he said, What happened? What happened to the tree? Why did you cut it? He was upset. He said, You have no right to cut trees unnecessarily. He was against cutting trees unnecessarily. But he advocated killing of humans under certain conditions. Not under any conditions. One should be ruled by dharma. Dharma means law. So we, tasmat chastram pramanam te karya karya vevastito, gyatva shastra vidhanoktam karyam kartam yaharhasi. Krishna says one should know what is the, what are the statements of shastra and act accordingly. One who doesn't act according to shastra, what is their position? The verse before that, Yah Shastra Vidimudsricha, Vartate Kamakarataha, Nasasidhim Abhapnoti, Nasukam Naparamgati. One who doesn't act according to Shastra, they act whimsically. For such persons, there is, uh, there is neither Siddhi, attainment of perfection, nor Sukha, happiness, nor attainment of the supreme destination. So that means that one who kills according to Shastra is far more pious than one who avoids killing and in doing so transgresses the rule of Shastra. The, uh, the non-violence, it's, it's not an absolute principle. It's, it's not practical. And therefore, when we say law, it means the law 
given by Bhagavan, it's for the benefit of all, and it's very practical also. It's not just that God was, you know, he just wakes up one morning and just blah, 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 speaks something like these modern lawmakers. They, they're changing the laws all the time. They make all kinds of very strange laws, which are many times uh, not in the interest of the country, but are in, in the interest of the politicians. And just like, you know, these reservations, it's just a... It's a disaster. It's going to be a disaster for the country. You have all these unqualified people who uh, they've got some qualification and the more qualified people, the people who are actually capable of doing the job, they can't get the job just for some political motive. It's, it's a terrible thing for the, for the whole country. But they want the politicians want the votes. They make such stupid laws. So, uh, Bhagavan is not like that. The directions he gives are very practical, very meaningful. They're for the benefit of everyone. But uh, people, they, like I say, they have these stereotyped ideas. You should be good. You should be nice. But that doesn't always work. Being good always works, but what, what does it mean to be good? The king who executes the murderer is far better than the pacifist who allows them. They, 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 they give the murderer you know, five years in jail or something, and then they come out and kill someone else. Now, the king who uh, kills according to the order of Shastra and, and protects, the, he may kill a human being and kill a tree. Uh, uh, sorry, protect a tree. That may seem to be unbalanced, but no, it's all according to the understanding of everyone's, uh, what everyone needs, what is best for everyone. Another example of, uh, oh, there are many examples actually. Uh, Srila Prabhupada is about 19... 77 maybe prices were going out of control as they are now due to hoarding Prabhupada said some of the, the some of the hoarders should be arrested and shot and then that will that will set an example take them and shoot them said so just a few as an example Actually, hoarding, it's very, very, very bad. You see now in India, the prices of food have gone so high. Ordinary people can't afford it. Just people already rich, they want to make more money by hoarding foods, grains and everything else and put untold number of people into trouble. So Prabhupada said, you take a few and shoot them. About one certain Ananda Swami, from Calcutta, Prabhupada said, if I had been in power at the time, I would have hanged him. Someone who gave so much, so much, uh, so much misinterpretation of, of Hinduism. He, he, he so badly misled people. Prabhupada said, if I had been in power, I would have hanged him. So, 
I mean, there are a few more these days who could uh, maybe uh, put some rope to good use. They're talking about near guna. You can give them some guna. Guna also means rope. So they're saying near guna and we're saying sagun. Here, you take this guna round your neck. Now this may seem, what are you talking about? Hanging sadhus? But no, these are not sadhus. They're cheaters and rascals posing as sadhus. Just like there's... uh, There's one uh, Buddhist leader who, you always see him, pictures of him smiling and looks very nice, and very famous all over the world. And people saying, oh, Buddhist, very nice, peace, love, non-violence, but the damn rascal is a meat eater and he's talking about peace. Isn't that hypocritical? I mean, killing is nasty. People, people think killing is very bad. So we shouldn't kill. And uh, they'll go to a peace conference and then they'll all sit around eating beef and chicken and talk about peace. Isn't that nonsense? Don't they think, don't they see that the uh, animals also suffer when they're killed? But they don't care. Because they're hypocrites. They're rascals. So all these points, they should be understood from the perspective of Shastra. Shastra gives the proper understanding. Absolute non-violence is not possible. Violence, when necessary, is good. When unnecessary, it is very sinful. But when it is necessary, not if violence is necessary, then to not apply violence, that is sinful. For Arjuna to have not fought as he desired, that would have been sinful for him. Not for everyone. Fighting is not meant for everyone. But for the Kshatriyas who are trained in that, it is their duty to fight when required. It may seem horrible, but it is necessary. And the result of their not doing so (coughs) leads to worse a worse situation. So that to protect others from uh, the being exploited by demons, the Kshatriyas, they have to punish the bad elements in society. And for that purpose, so that they can kill humans when required, which... It's not a very easy thing to do. Not everyone can do that. That's why we often say to people in the West that if you want to eat meat, kill your own animals. People used to. Still in, the, still in India, it's very common. There's probably more than a million chickens a day are killed in India. And mostly people buy live birds, take them home and kill them themselves. But in the West, the... Uh, Meat comes packaged in plastic, what is this, poly, polythene. And it comes, it all looks very nice. And they, there's the famous uh, demoniac chain, what's that called? McDonald's. Hamburgers. Hamburger means they're selling meat in a bun. 
and they they have advertisements showing these hamburgers growing on flower stalks and nice music. Da, 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 da. So nice hamburger, but it means you killed so many cows to get that meat. They don't think. They don't want to think. They keep the slaughterhouses outside the town so you can't hear the screaming of the animals. Because then people might think, oh, that's not very nice. So they might become vegetarians. Then your business would go down. So the slaughterhouses should be closed. Cell phones should be closed. Oh, here's another one. Yeah, I was saying Prabhupada considered it natural that countries engage in war to uphold their national interest. Uh, Hitler is well known as a great demon of the 20th century. And Prabhupada also said he was a demon. But Prabhupada's regarding the... uh, Persecution of the Jews, Prabhupada once commented, and this is, this is not the kind of thing that we want to go and say in public, but as we're all our inside crowd here, Prabhupada said, yeah, well, they, the Jews were, uh, they were exploiting the German economy, so it's natural to protect the national interest that you take some action against them. <laughs> so, of course, Hitler's... Uh, Action against them was extreme, to say the least. But uh, on principle, Prabhupada wasn't against it. He, he just, well, he just thought it was natural that in politics these things happen. <laughs> we see at the present time that troops from the Western world are in Iraq. For oil, to protect their interests, everyone to protect their uh, way of life, their economy, like that. That's the world. That's the way the world goes on. It's demoniac, but it goes on, and we can't say that. Uh, yeah, you know, now nowadays all the all the wars pretty much are demoniac. They're fought between demons. So, but there, there is a case for. Uh, for fighting for a proper cause. Even Prabhupada, you said, for the, if India should fight against Pakistan. uh, You may say, well, they're all demons. And it's true that uh, previously the British were exploiting India, now Indians are exploiting India. Have the independence to be exploited by your own countrymen. But still, Prabhupada, he, he said they should fight because, well, he didn't explain why exactly, but we can understand that India is a very important place from the spiritual point of view. And if uh, people who are inimical to Vedic culture take over, then uh, they may uh, stop these Activity, the spiritual activity, they may do so many things against the Vedic culture in India. Of course, even within India, the Hindus are doing so many things. The, the present rulers are doing so many things, but they're not uh, openly, in most cases, they're not openly hostile to the Vedic culture. 
So, like everything else in the world, these are complex discussions. But just the point I'm making here is that uh, killing under certain circumstances is good in this in this material world. It's not inherently good, but it's uh, the lesser of two evils in many circumstances. Better to go to the spiritual world where there's no killing, there's no murder, there's no exploitation, there's no hypocrisy. But as long as we're in this material world, violence will be required. And the proper administration of violence is a pious activity, unlike or in contradiction to what uh, people with a very shallow way of thinking presume. Which brings us to another point, which I won't get into now, but things are not always as they seem. We have to go deeper and not just... As I'm saying, people say slogans, peace, love, compassion. Of course, these are all very good, but without properly understanding them, then in the name of peace... Uh, we may be condoning violence, just like in most of the world they say they want peace, but only for the humans. They're killing so many animals. Or this so-called religious leader, Buddhist, going around the world talking about peace, and himself he's a meat eater. Or as one uh, famous mother from Calcutta, supposed to be said, she was also a meat eater, supposed to be a great saint. Another meat eater. So, we have to go a little deeper, understand according to Shastra what the actual situation is. So, Hare Krishna, any questions, comments? Anyone want to shoot me now saying, well, killing is good, we'll kill you, you rascal. You said so many nasty things. You're a hypocrite, you're not a sadhu. You should be killed, but we don't believe in violence, so we'll just... uh, you know, hang you till you're almost dead and then let you go. Anyone? No? Nothing. Yes. Murari Das, the servant of the enemy of Mura. Krishna has so many names. Murari Madhusudana Arisudana. It's a general name. Arisudana. Killer of his enemies. Krishna has so many names in connection with demons. Yeah. In connection with killing of demons, sorry. Yeah. What would constitute a dharmic war in modern times? Uh, Well, first of all, you'd have to have dharmic kings. So, in the present world situation, I can't really see any situation. Of course, when we say a dharmic war, it's it's often mixed, because purely dharmic would be the battle of Kurukshetra, because directly on Krishna's order to to, uh, place Krishna's pure devotees in power. But it's, in the material world, it's always mixed motives. Someone may be fighting for dharma, but the, the kings, uh, they have their own sense of self-aggrandizement also. 
Actually, in Vedic culture, it's considered that one king who's stronger than another, he has the right to take him over. Who is stronger can do it. If you're stronger, then you should be in charge. It's better for the citizens to have a stronger king. So if you knock out one king, then uh, you're entitled to the throne. So definitely there was a sense of you know, pride, which was not just in dharma, but in... And that was famous, the Rajputs. They were always fighting among each other. This ego, a lot of egoism was there also. So a purely dharmic war is one which is uh, conducted for the sake of dharma by people who are dedicated to dharma. But the fact is that the Rajas, they're in the material world like everyone else, and they do have a strong sense of uh, egoism, which, but, but that should be contained by a sense of dharma. We find that the, uh, one of the qualities of the kings mentioned in Bhagavad Gita, Ishvara Bhav. So that Ishvara Bhav, feeling that, like they're the boss, well that's described already in Bhagavad Gita as being a demoniac quality. Ishvara Hamaham Bhogi. To think I'm the, I'm the boss and I'm the enjoyer, that's demoniac. So the, the dharmic king thinks, Ishvara sevi. I'm in charge here, but I'm a servant. So he's both a, a controller and a servant. If he has that mentality, then he's fit to take charge, and what he does will be on the basis of dharma. The kshatriyas are supposed to be guided by brahmanas. So if they're guided by a uh, pure brahmana, or pure brahmanas, actually they shouldn't take a decision to fight without their ministers, who are brahmanas. And if they do so, the brahmanas are supposed to deliberate. Of course, dharma to understand it can be very difficult to understand how to apply it in any situation. So the brahmanas, they may debate among themselves and come to a conclusion. And if the kshatriya follows that, then, uh, then it's a dharmic war. But sometimes the kshatriya may have to make his own decision also. Like I say, it's very, we're talking about general principles here, but the application can be very complex. Just like Dali Maharaj made his own decision to defy his guru. And he did the right thing. In that case, if it, in the case of Shukracharya instructing him not to, uh, to, to break his word and not donate in charity to uh, Vamana Dev. So it would seem that Bali Maharaj, he should have just done what his guru said. But he defied his guru and he did the right thing. So it's not so easy. It can be very complex. Here's an interesting point. Uh, around the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Prataparudra Maharaj of Utkal was engaged in fighting with Krishna Devarai from Vijayanagar. They're both Vaishnavas. <laughs> they're both Vaishnava kings and they were fighting. They had full scale war against each other. Interesting, huh? <laughs> and uh, in the Shaki Gopal, the deity was brought from Vijayanagar to Puri.
first Pratapuruddha one, then Devarai, Krishna Devarai one, like this. They're two powerful kings. Yeah, anything else? Yeah, I saw this hand first. Sometimes you want to do temple construction, so many trees. Consult the brahmanas. <laughs> what to do? Sometimes trees should be cut. You have to make the form of jagannath. Trees should be cut. Daru Brahma. Wooden Brahma. How there's there's no way to translate Brahma in English. Sometimes it should be cut. Should be cut, yeah, you need wood for making a temple, so the tree should be cut. Sometimes it's required. For clearing agricultural land. There are cases. I don't know exactly. I'm not a, a lawyer, Dharma Shastri, yeah. And you have to see. But unnecessary cutting of trees is sinful. Yeah, who else? You had a question, yeah. Yeah. How to understand it? Well, it may be difficult to understand. Not everything's easy to understand. It's difficult to understand why, I, why Krishna told Arjuna to fight. You'd have to, you have to go more deeply into it to understand. I don't know the details, so I can't say just making a point here. Yeah. In, in Calcutta, cow slaughter is very high. It's all over India, even in the states where it's not supposed to be. Very high. What should we do? Well, Srila Prabhupada, he didn't make a, a movement per se to stop that. I mean, I remember first time I came to Calcutta going over the Howrah Bridge and seeing all these cows being driven to slaughter. This was in 1976 and I was shocked. I, I just come to India and I, this is horrible. Prabhupada was on the planet at this time. He didn't start a Goraksha Andalam. But he did start the... Uh, that he, wanted, he himself started, but it never really took off. He wanted devotees to go village to village and tell the farmers, stay in the village, grow your own food, don't come to the city. That was, Prabhupada had an, all, he had an all-encompassing solution. Not, you see, if you tell people not to kill cows, nowadays everything's money, money, money. Cows are money. Why should, you, why should you feed the cow spending money when you don't get anything back and you can sell the cow and get some money? That's how people think. So by, by showing how we can... Not showing how, actually everyone was doing that up to one generation ago. You live in the village, produce your own food and uh, you protect the cow. And the cow, even in old age, probably he's... He said that the real profit from the cow is not the milk, it's the urine and the goba. That's more valuable than the milk. So the cow goes on giving goba and milk. And if, if the society is set up, there should be some grazing ground, some forest. So it's not a difficult thing. So Prabhupada wanted to 
if you just tell people to stop killing the cow, it, it's not going to work. You have to you have to make an all-around solution. But even now, that can be done. That can be shown by from the cow products. People, our devotees in different places make good business actually making this uh, Gomutra Ark and various items, Panchagavya soap, toothbrush, toothpaste, toothbrushes, the knee twig. So many items from the cow. So, I my and my suggestion is that we promote, as Prabhupada did also, he said that it's, it's good economics to protect the cows. And it's bad economics to, to kill them. And because even, you have the tractor, but then it breaks down, and then it's so much, it's so expensive to repair it. And better to keep the cows. And they fertilize the field. As they, the bulls, as they plow the field. Hmm. Okay. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, you had to say something. People should be taught what real ahimsa is. Yes, they should be. We have many things to teach. You please do so. Our movement should teach society. According to Bhagavad Gita, as it is. Should be done. Please do it. That we're attempting to do. Our movement is being neglected. We have many important things to say. All these bogus sadhus, they just talk all rubbish. Our movement has actually got something, and they think if someone has some big name and fame, they think he's very important. People, they like to be cheated. There are so many cheaters. And they'll come and they'll <laughs> laugh a little bit, tell a joke or two, talk about love, and they have nothing to offer. In fact, they take your money away from you, right? This, uh, there's someone who's made an art of his own good living by uh, taking lots of money for all his seminars. He's living very well. Meantime, you lost 2,000 rupees. So, they're just cheating, just cheating for their own name and fame. Nothing practical to offer. So, actually, Prabhupada, he wanted to show something very practical. Live on the land. Produce your own food. Prabhupada wanted this. We haven't done it. We should teach by practical example. Otherwise, we're just another religious movement. But Prabhupada is a very practical acharya. He didn't just walk around talking, peace, love, be kind, be nice. He had very practical plans. Grow food. Show how we can live simply. We don't have to be part of this exploitive industrial society. Live simply, chant Hare Krishna. That was Prabhupada's practical plan. Okay, one more question, then I'll finish. Duryodhana, from the Kshatriya's point of view, is a good name, means difficult to fight with. Dushashan also means difficult to control. It's a good name for a Kshatriya. It can be taken the other way also, yeah. 